0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tending to You. Tending to You provides mobile bartenders and wait staff for private events in the Greater Houston area. Learn more at tendingtoyou.com. That's tending the number two and the letter U.com.
2: This is Meant to Be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Bob Valgenti, standing in for Coral Lee. This episode is part of a special series in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies, whose forthcoming issue is entirely devoted to COVID dispatches. In it, authors from around the world offer short, intimate portraits of early responses to the food crises of this pandemic. Hosts from the Journal's editorial collective will be joined by some of the featured authors to share their stories and to hear how things have progressed since they submitted their work in March and April of 2020. My guest this week is Steve Meinster. Steve is a Chicago-based bar and restaurant operator working mostly as a general manager for the Scofflaw Group. Thank you, Steve, for joining us and welcome to the show.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Bob. I really appreciate you having me on. And actually for for doing this for us, it's great to have a voice.
2: Great. Can you briefly share with our listeners what you do and where you're based?
3: Uh, Well, I live in the Hermosa neighborhood in Chicago, um, and I work in um, – currently I'm furloughed from a restaurant group um, called the Scafflaw Group that's based out of Logan Square, Chicago, which is right nearby – And uh, when I was working for Scofflaw Group, um, I was general manager of a few different uh, locations there and also um, helped to open um, a few spots for them. Uh, The most recent one was uh, a natural wine bar uh, called Outside Voices and a bar, uh, kind of a a hipster sports bar um, that is called the Moonlighter. And uh, so I helped open those from the building Uh, up until uh, the implementation and ran them for a couple of years. Um, But now uh, I'm furloughed at the moment.
2: You know, Chicago is known as a great restaurant city. um, And so it's one that has been tremendously impacted uh, by the COVID pandemic. So is your situation... As a furloughed worker, is that something that's been the case since the early days of the pandemic or is that more recent? How has that sort of developed over time and how is maybe that similar or different from uh, many of your fellow workers in your group or in the restaurant industry more broadly?
3: Well, I think it's a case by case uh, basis. You know, it's different for everybody, but um, uh, most of us were. Work shut down right from the beginning of the pandemic um, and furloughed pretty much immediately. For me, it took about two weeks where uh, our managers set up uh, delivery and carry out mechanisms. Um, And then we left behind one manager and a few hourly employees to kind of run the thing. Um, And uh, we were furloughed. Um, And that's the case for most of my colleagues um, around the city. Uh, Management was kind of the the first to go uh, where the cost the most money. Um, And so uh, then when uh, paycheck protection programs started coming through, um, many of us went back to work. Uh, Some are still working. In my case, um, we really uh, weren't busy enough to really take back salaried employees full time um, after the eight week period. And what we did was um, we. Uh, And we we really weren't busy enough inside the restaurants to really want to bring back all of our hourly staff to work in them. It's a health risk. So we decided to do was break up into pods where managers would take groups of hourly employees and work on projects around the properties that aren't actually open right now because they either don't have um, enough outdoor space or um, don't serve uh, food. Um, And so once that eight week period ended um, in in our company, all the general managers were once again furloughed um, and the owners themselves operated the restaurants um, with some hourly employees and a couple of of, uh, other managers that we've been training up.
2: So the title of your essay that you're going to share with us today, um, which is The Sickness Unto Hospitality, is in fact a reference to a specific work of philosophy so without maybe spoiling too much of the essay that you're going to read for us, can you perhaps prepare the listener a bit for the mindset you wanted to explore and invoke through your writing and particularly how that perhaps connects to your situation and the situation of many restaurant workers?
3: For sure. Um, the title of the essay is The Sickness Under Hospitality, and it it references a book by Soren Kierkegaard um, with, this, with the title The Sickness Under Death, and that's a book about um, it's, he's essentially considered to be one of the foundational thinkers of existential philosophy, um, and in that in that work, um, he talks about human existence uh, as a dialectic between you know finitude and infinitude, and possibility and necessity, where um, our lives are characterized as a kind of despair or um, sort of what he calls a sickness uh, that's constituted by anxiety and dread. Uh, and it's a pretty complex work, um, but the basic uh, idea there is that um, uh, we don't we come to understand ourselves over a process of becoming self-conscious, um, and this takes time and effort, and it's a sort of dialectical process whereby you um, move through life realizing that um, the, the meaning of your existence really wasn't what you thought it was. Uh, for him, it's about coming to uh, Christian faith. Um, but uh, for this particular essay, um, what I'm trying to write about is that, um, you know, when the pandemic struck and we were all forced to close down, uh, I think that uh, what I notice is that people in, in this industry, hospitality, were already sort of mentally prepared for it uh, in the sense that our everyday existence is really grounded in something uh, like a dread or anxiety uh, that... Um, We may not be open for business much longer. Uh, Busy services kind of give you this anxiety um, and uh, owning and operating restaurants as well give you an anxiety about the future that really keeps you rooted in your finitude. And so there's a kind of authenticity of existence there that um, means that when there is something uh, big that happens like this pandemic, uh, we're almost uh, perfectly suited for it. And we kind of don't freak out as much as we might otherwise would.
2: So there's a there's an ability there to deal with the dread, to deal with the anxiety that perhaps many of us who are not in that industry um, have a more difficult time managing. And exactly. So, so with that with that idea, and I think um, that kind of hint of optimism and possibility that's in your reading of this particular situation, maybe this is the time for you to share your essay with us.
3: Sure. The Sickness Under Hospitality, written April 7th, 2020 Chicago, Illinois. I started working in hospitality while writing my dissertation in 2007. By the time I defended and went on the market, the financial crisis had taken its toll and full-time jobs in my field were scarce and elusive. I loved teaching, but I probably did too much of it while struggling to finish, and the drawn out process wore me down and ruined me financially. I was already working in bars to supplement my income, so I decided to stop commuting to my two teaching jobs and started bartending full-time. The hospitality industry in Chicago thrived after the Great Recession, and I was able to rise with the high tide of bar and restaurant groups and climb out of debt, back into a place where I could imagine a future. I felt at home immediately, I think because it was a place where my anxiety about the future was more tangibly rooted in the long, grueling hours working for the tips that may or may not justify the effort. Food and beverage hospitality routinely forces us to face human existence in all of its dreadful implications and to keep working with and in service of others in spite of those feelings. Small business owners and entrepreneurs no matter what their market, share a humility that keeps those who experience success rooted in their daily problem solving. The competition in hospitality is high, profit margins are thin, and revenue depends on a number of factors that are difficult or impossible to control. A mountain of debt is usually required to lay the bricks and mortar, to design and implement menus and systems, to acquire the licensing and insurance, to buy product, and to train the mostly new staff in whose hands the day-to-day execution of the entire endeavor will ultimately rest. Absent enormous wealth or ignorance, the process of opening and operating a restaurant, the ultimate creative expression of those of us inspired by food, drinks, and hospitality produces intense dread, anxiety, and despair. these existential feelings are not limited to ownership and management. Without an economy of scale, the typical restaurant with a liquor license generates the vast majority of its profit by selling beverages. Yet, after salaried managers, cooks represent the next highest labor expenditure, despite being significantly underpaid. Back-of-house staff is almost always overworked by high-volume shifts producing a commodity that tends to reinforce the lower wages. Striving to reach food costs that allow the business to break even on food, hourly kitchen employees are alienated by the product of their labor. And this alienation produces the same dread, anxiety, and despair endemic to restaurant operations. Front of house employees generally make a higher average hourly income. And in many cases, it's far higher but this income is far from guaranteed. Employee tip credits make it easier for restaurants and bars to stay buoyant, but they make a tipped employees every shift a potentially life-altering event. A few service missteps or bad tips, and the bartender or server finds themselves hovering over an abyss of unpaid rent and bills. In food and beverage hospitality, we all reckon with the abyss, and we get used to it. It drives our collective sense of responsibility for ourselves, our restaurant or bar, the folks we struggle alongside, and especially our guests. This ethos is best expressed in the concept of family meal, the food that chefs and back-of-house staff prepare for employees working a particular shift. To restaurant workers on long shifts, these meals are a little taste of hospitality, providing physical and social sustenance, bringing the restaurant together like family. By and large, the common feeling I've heard expressed in the wake of this pandemic from owners, managers, cooks, dish staff, hosts, servers, bartenders, and support staff is concern for our coworkers, our industry family, and the community we serve. Each has expressed a desire to be hospitable in the face of oblivion. Local restaurant owners immediately circled the wagons and started getting organized as it became clear that their restaurants and bars would be forced to close. Most of the initial concern about the impact of the restrictions was for the effect it would have on employees. Employee relief programs were set up immediately, and a supportive community of guests and partners are giving generously. Industry leaders have taken it upon themselves to transform their operations into social safety networks. Chef Rick Bayless transformed Frontera Grill into a food distribution center where furloughed workers package donations from U.S. foods for Chicagoans in need. One-off hospitality and the 50-50 group joined forces with Chef Edward Lee and the Restaurant Workers Relief Fund to transform their restaurants into facilities for providing meals for industry workers. And Pilot Light, which partners with chefs to promote healthier food preparation and consumption throughout the city, is paying furloughed chefs to make educational family cooking videos in a program called Family Meal. And the Feed Our Front Lines campaign is paying restaurant workers to prepare meals for healthcare professionals throughout Chicago. These are just a few examples from a hospitality industry that is problem-solving a humanitarian crisis to which itself has fallen victim. These leaders immediately shut down and transformed their businesses to serve their suffering community, and they may very well never open for regular business again. The strength and focus demonstrated in this crisis seems almost irrational, unless you've ever owned or operated a restaurant. Crisis management, problem solving, and maintaining a firm footing at the edge of an abyss are essential for navigating a restaurant opening or busy service. In contrast to the way we talk and think about them, successful restaurants, bars, and hospitality groups have not succeeded because they've risen above or escaped their finitude. Rather, they have faced the dreadful abyss of uncertainty and ventured forward and to make a decision to strive through it. And for this reason, these are the people who can deliver in a time of crisis.
2: Thank you, Steve, for sharing your essay with us. We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tending to You. Tending to You provides mobile bartenders and wait staff for private events in the greater Houston area. Their dedicated and capable team specializes in traditional sit-down gatherings, past appetizer service, buffet-style meals, and bartending refreshing customized cocktails and beverages. They provide all their own tools needed for a pop-up bar, including drinkware, garnishes, napkins, and more to be set up for success. They also come equipped with trays, gloves, and cleaning products, which allows Tending to You to provide a superior level of service. Learn more at TendingToYou.com.
2: That's Tending, the number two, and the letter U.com. And we're back. This is Meant to Be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Bob Valgenti from Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies, in for Coral Lee. Steve Meinster just shared his essay, The Sickness to hospitality. It's a powerful essay, Steve, and I think it's to the heart of the type of anxiety that one finds in your industry, but that I think more broadly has gripped uh, so many of us uh, during this time of the pandemic. So maybe as a kind of first step in reflecting on what you've just shared with us, can you tell us how, if at all, things have changed since you wrote this. And maybe first you can tell us a little bit about your situation as an employee and as someone who oversees staff at a restaurant, but then maybe also tell us a little bit about your thoughts on how this essay and its content might have changed over time as well.
3: Sure, thanks, Bob. Um... You know, the four months since I wrote this have been a sort of process of coming to terms with this new reality for the hospitality industry. And it's not not a really good reality, to be frank. Um, I think that if my essay captures anything about the prevailing mood, it's that everyone involved is pretty ambivalent and torn about investing time um, and money and health into reopening and trying to provide hospitality in this environment. Um, You know, we've seen how difficult it is for even well-intentioned folks in government and hardworking members of the medical community to really gather and disseminate reliable information about the virus. Uh, so you, you know, you can imagine if you're relying on that information to take steps to make your business safe for employees and guests, it can be pretty frustrating. Um, you know, and, and then every little new thing you implement into your systems costs money and training. Um, and in an environment where your ability to generate revenue is severely restricted, you know, the, the, none of this process is affordable. Um, so, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic, uh, food and beverage hospitality was really identified as one of the potential dangerous activities. So we've been really hungry for information and regulation, and it's been really kind of slow to come. Um, but when I step back and look at the big picture, it makes sense that, you know, we'd be doing a lot of this work ourselves and that we should be doing it. Um but it's very difficult to kind of enforce rules in a restaurant or bar environment without diminishing that hospitality experience that our guests are accustomed to. Um, you know, that's a whole part of, of the service industry. There are a lot of rules and regulations going on all the time. Um, but we actually go to great lengths to enforce those rules and regulations without guests experiencing them as such. Um, and that's why it's important for governments to establish these rules so that guests understand what they're getting into when they come in, uh, they understand the reason. For for and the value of those rules, um, so that the rules are arbitrated by an authority that's not really interested in hospitality, and so that we can bring the hospitality to the table. So, um, so,
2: so go ahead. Yeah. So, do you think that's one of the big differences here? Is that while you're an industry that is very highly regulated, mm-hmm. and that is in many ways central to your day to day work, the training that you give employees. But in this case, because of the nature of the pandemic, it's invaded that sacred space, if you will, of hospitality. So the, the figure that you draw in the essay of, of The Family Meal, mm-hmm. that kind of hospitality that you, that you not only utilize to bring your staff together, but also to create the environment that people seek when they go out to eat, that it's, it's intrusion into that space that has made this unique and particularly difficult. Uh, for restaurant workers,
3: it, it really is. It really is a unique situation, um, and you know, I, I you know, I hear a lot of people talking about how you know maybe guests don't understand uh, what's happening either, uh, and that uh, you know they expect business as usual, and we really can't give them that. Um, but you know, it's not the job of the guests to worry about that type of thing. So I think we really feel um, a responsibility to make this work. So like when we initially shut down. Uh, and changed and switched all of our operations over to delivery and carryout to sort of salvage what we had of our brand, Um, we really tried to think about how can we create um, a sense of hospitality, of, of, in our case, scofflaw hospitality in the home of the guest, um, and how can we kind of translate that um, to this, this new mechanism of delivery and carryout. And, you know, uh, you know, most restaurants did try to tackle this. You know, some restaurants like Alinea, for example, um, tried to do this. And this is, you know, there there are restaurants that sell tickets uh, where you it's like an event and you go to them and it's just an amazing experience. And, it's, you know, possible to recreate that we create that in somebody's home for them. But we're trying to do that because we really want to sort of hold on to what it is we do and be able to, to be able to offer that to our guests. And, and for the most part, our guests are, are really rooting for us and have kind of taken up, um, you know, the energy, uh, brought really positive energy to us, um, to try to help us keep going and sort of, um, you know, recreate that experience on their end. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun too, to yeah.
2: watch. I'd say that's one of the, the almost paradoxical qualities that comes out of your essay. It's an essay that is you know, heavily sort of immersed in existential themes, and yet there is an underlying optimism about it and about the workers who try to create that experience. So maybe kind of reflecting back on the process of writing this essay and on what you just said about trying to create that experience for your customers, is there anything that you would change about the essay now looking back a few months now that so much has changed, you know, and particularly maybe about this, that kind of initial hope or optimism that you had there?
3: Well, you know, for me, um, the idea of writing something that would likely be undermined by an uncertain future, it kind of harmonized really well with the theme of the essay. If that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if anything, I might've said more, um, In the longer version, I talked more about how restaurants and bars, um, you know, adapted their delivery and carry out. And um, I think, you know, one of the important things for me in the essay was to try to convey and flesh out some of the alienation that our back of house and front of house employees undergo as well. Um, You know, bar and restaurant workers are organizing around labor and health and safety issues in the wake of the pandemic. Um, and I'm somebody who thinks, uh, the time to address these issues is long overdue. Um, but with everyone being laid off and then, you know, kind of brought back piecemeal into a risky environment, um, it's a really difficult situation. Um, and I think, uh, you know, understanding what, why it is that, um, there's so much anxiety for, for folks who work in this industry, uh, you know, it's, it's our job to kind of, uh, it's people like me to kind of express, you know, why that is. I mean, the service industry in Chicago is competitive, but it's also huge. So for somebody that puts their time in, um, there's an achievable sense of employment security that you can get, where if you had an issue at work, whether it's professional or financial or personal, you know, there's always another job out there. But when you found a good fit, um, you could gain seniority in exchange for dependability. But with COVID, much of that is out the window, you know, front of house employees are torn because they don't want to lose the positions and shifts they work so hard to secure, but they don't want to sacrifice their health and the health of their families. Um, from what I'm hearing, the economic collapse that is really we're not talking that much about, mm-hmm. and the fact that some guests blame the restaurants for compromising their experience, it means that tips aren't really materializing the way they were for that front of house staff. So it's kind of a terrifying, terrifyingly ecstatic proposition, you know, um, with the capacity so low and the restrictions on how many people you can have in the restaurant, the folks that are making good money are afraid to go to work uh, for risking their health. And those people that uh, don't feel they're risking their health as much are really struggling to get by. Um, and in back house, you know, a lot of these folks are are happy to make the six hundred dollars a week from the federal government. Um, you know, if you look at that six hundred dollars a week, it's about twenty six cents an hour less for a 40-hour work week than the average hourly income of a line cook in Chicago. And they're getting another however much from the state government on top of that. So some people look at that and they say, well, these benefits are amotivational. But when I look at that, I see that you know we have a real problem in how we're um, compensating our back-of-house employees. And it's a problem... You know, I think you can look at it in a negative sense, but uh, for me, it's a real positive that we have a real chance here um, to kind of figure some of this stuff out that's been welling, out, welling up all these uh, labor and healthcare issues, not to mention the social issues that are going on today. Um, we have a real uh, attempt to restart here and figure some of this stuff out so that we can change the way employees in the hospitality industry and also restaurants themselves are paid for what they offer.
2: Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to delve into this question more broadly. Uh, although I think you've put a, a sort of fine point on it here in terms of the labor issue in the restaurant industry. But you know, there's a lot of talk about how various weaknesses have been exposed by the COVID crisis, not just in your industry, but you know, mm-hmm. across the board in government, in social services, and 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 elsewhere. But particular to your line of work. I wanted to ask you, you know, so much of the focus is on personal responsibility sometimes in the kinds of discussions that happen either in the media broadly or among individuals about personal safety, about personal choice. Mm -hmm. What you just brought up about paychecks and government assistance is all about whether that individual will be motivated or demotivated. But what do you see within the kind of structural, you know, and systemic uh, makeup of the restaurant industry that this crisis has not only exposed, but maybe pushed us to a point where it's finally time that we do things differently.
3: Well, I mean, I I think that to be to be honest, uh, in within working in the hospitality industry, uh, these problems are really aren't aren't that new to us. Um, it's more a matter of trying to figure out how to change them. I think that when you have a system that seems to work well, and that you know it's a a huge sector of our economy, um, and and it's been functioning in the same way with tip credits and um, you know being able to charge less for food than you really should to to help your back of house employees um, make a living wage, this has been going on for so long, and and guests really just are used to it. And and the system works, um, you know, insofar as it functions, it just doesn't work. So socially. And so the interesting thing about this pandemic is we all got shut down. And so it stopped working, you know, from a principle outside of itself. Um, And so it is an opportunity to really reflect on how we do things. And we have an opportunity uh, where guests are, Changing their expectations of us, of what we do, um, and how how they need to interact with us. Um, and so, I think it is a real opportunity uh, to start changing things. I mean, there are ideas about you know tip pooling uh, with the entire house, front of house and back of house, um, about you know getting rid of the tip system, the tip credit system. And I, I mean, I think that it's a really difficult thing to do while restaurants are opening and functioning. But as long as we have this pause, um, you know, it's, it's something that we really should be working on. And so I think like for us, you know, these labor issues have been welling up for a long time and they're coming to a head now because of the shutdown. Uh, but I think there's a real opportunity there, um, for us to get some work done.
2: So we have time maybe just for one more quick question. Sure. Um, so, so on that same, on that same note, um, if the pandemic were to, uh, go away, you know, obviously it will go away at some point. Um, do you think it would go back to business as usual? Do you think that this has shaken up the system enough so that there could be some real change?
3: You know, that's a good question. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think that there are certainly uh, changes that are, that are coming that um, as a result of this pandemic that are going to be lasting. I mean, I, I have hope that, that, um, that will happen. I, I think that it's a really, um, it, I think it's important to remember that um the folks that that own and operate these these businesses are under an enormous amount of stress, and it's it's really difficult to think about completely revamping your whole operation when you really don't know whether or not you're going to be able to open again. But and so I think it's going to have to be a collective thing where um, uh, employees organize. You know, there's going to have to be some involvement from the labor movement. The good thing about organized labor is they they know. How all different labor markets work, and they've seen what works and what doesn't work. And um, I know there are a lot of minds out there from different um, walks of life uh, who could really contribute to this. I think if there's a, a real open discussion about it, we can really find some solutions. And I think if that happens, then there's there's a there's a good chance that some of these changes could could hap could take place. Um, but if we Kind of open real quick on the fly again and everything starts humming along again like usual i think it'll be a lot harder to really institute them
2: well, there's a bit of hope and optimism that's there in not just your essay but in, in those kind of parting thoughts so i'd like to thank steve meinster for joining us today on the meant to be eaten podcast thanks so much for being here
3: thank you so much for having me
2: The COVID Dispatches series is produced in partnership with Gastronomica, the journal for food studies. More essays like the one shared today can be found in Gastronomica issue 20.3, slated for publication on the journal's University of California Press website in late August of 2020. Meant to be eaten listeners can enjoy a 30% off single print copies of this issue with the discount, discount code GAS. T-R-A-U-G 2020. The discount is valid through June of 2021 and can also be found in the notes for this episode of Meant to be Eaten. Stay tuned for more COVID Dispatch series podcasts produced in partnership with Meant to be Eaten. I'm Bob Valgenti. Thanks for joining us.
3: Meant to be eaten is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.